The Spanish flu of 1918 devastated Erie. 100 years later, hear how influenza started and spread through the city like wildfire, and how the deadly virus eventually ran its course here. I'm Erie Times News online reporter Sarah Grabsky. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy this story. Erie's Liberty Loan Parade on September 29, 1918, was the longest and greatest parade ever held in the city. A solid mass of humanity marched to inspire people to buy bonds to help bankroll World War I. Soldiers and sailors home on furlough had a place of honor in the parade. Bands from Erie, Cory, and Meadville led the parade's 10 divisions. An estimated 20,000 marchers represented every school, civic club, service, and industry in the city and many in Erie County. American Brake Shoe and Foundry, a munitions plant at West 12th Street and Green Garden Road, alone provided 7,000 employees for the parade. About 50,000 people lined city streets to watch the procession. Two hours after the first units, the final units passed City Hall, where Erie Mayor Miles Kitts, Meadville Mayor E.W. Lawrence, and other dignitaries watched from the steps. Cory Mayor C.L. Alexander marched in the parade at the head of a Cory band. According to the Erie Dispatch newspaper, quote, practically every resident of the city and a majority of inhabitants of the county gave over their entire Sunday afternoon, end quote, to the event. The Dispatch and the Erie Daily Times reported extensively on the event. The parade was awe-inspiring, according to their accounts. It would also prove deadly. Within a week, there were 250 cases of Spanish influenza reported in Erie. The influenza epidemic that started in spring of 1918 in the western United States and Europe by fall was raging across the country and worldwide when Erie's Liberty Loan Parade brought tens of thousands of people downtown, where even one person infected with the virus could pass it on to hundreds through a cough, a sneeze, or spit. By the end of October, thousands of Erie residents were ill, and more than 100 were dead, according to reports from the City Board of Health. By Christmas Day, that death toll would top 500. The contagion, once given a start, spreads like wildfire, said Dr. John W. Wright, chief of the Erie Board of Health in 1918. The 1918-1919 flu pandemic killed an estimated 50 million to 100 million people worldwide, more than the bubonic plague and World War I combined, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The war gave the virus wings. Soldiers on crowded military bases and troop ships were hit especially hard and helped spread the contagion. Young adults in the prime of life were prime targets. Deaths from what became known as Spanish flu and complications, including pneumonia, weren't easy. Victims struggled for air and suffocated on fluids that built up in their lungs. No one was safe from the virus, as a children's rhyme of the time made clear. I had a little bird. Its name was Enza. I opened the window, and in flew Enza. On October 3rd, Erie newspapers reported that the virus had reached Erie. Two people were sick. One recently had returned from Massachusetts, the other from the Navy's Great Lakes Training Center in Illinois, both areas where influenza was raging. 
it was raging too in Philadelphia. And Pennsylvania Health Commissioner Benjamin Franklin Royer ordered theaters, dance halls, saloons, and other public amusements statewide to close on October 5th. The Erie Daily Times reported that day. People went to bed last night as usual and woke up in the morning to find that their amusements were entirely taken away from them. Benjamin Franklin Royer left it up to local health boards to decide if schools and churches also would close. In Erie, John Wright signed the order. He also ordered streetcars in the city of nearly 110,000 residents at the time to be cleaned daily and directed the fire department to hose down State Street daily. Retailers were warned against bargain sales and window displays that might attract crowds. The public was warned against congregating on street corners. Police were directed to cite or arrest corner loafers and anyone spitting on the streets or sidewalks. It is known that one person in a crowded place can infect hundreds of others, John Wright said. He also ordered police to crack down on saloons that ignored the gathering ban and were doing land office business through side doors. Proprietors who were caught were subject to a $100 fine, 30 days in jail, or both. In spite of the precautions and penalties, the flu spread, reaching epidemic proportions by October 13th, when 500 new cases were reported in the 16th District Epidemic Zone, including Erie, Crawford, and Venango counties. John Wright, who was also the chief of the City Board of Health, had been appointed by the state days earlier to oversee the fight against influenza in all three counties, and he suspected that far more people were sick. He ordered the arrest of any physician who failed to report new cases. He also ratcheted up efforts to contain the virus, prohibiting club and church sick committees from visiting the sick and prohibiting public funerals for flu victims. Further, John Wright said, the body of a person who has died of epidemic influenza or pneumonia shall under no circumstances be taken into any church, chapel, public hall, or public building. The first two eerie flu deaths were reported on October 9th. By the end of October, more than 3,000 Erie residents were sick with the flu. St. Vincent Hospital borrowed a nearby building from the Erie School District for overflow patients. Hammett Hospital issued an urgent call for nurses. 16 of its staff of 60 nurses were sick. Citywide, so many nurses were down with the flu that anyone who could take a pulse and read a thermometer was urged to volunteer. It is as patriotic for a nurse to care for an influenza-stricken munitions worker as it is to care for a soldier in France, Hammett officials said. Each hospital was filled to capacity with flu patients. Health officials raced to open an emergency hospital for flu victims on the second floor of the Elks Club at West 8th and Peach Streets. The federal government provided beds originally intended for workers at local munitions plants. City Council allocated $10,000, equivalent to almost $180,000 today, to help with costs. The community did what it could for the patients. City housewives provided bedding. Church groups took turns providing meals. The Elks Club supplied flowers and reading materials for the stricken. In railway-rich Cory, where more than 1,000 people were ill and more than 200 had died, the state armory on Washington Street was open to patients. 
Meadville Library housed 28 ill soldiers taken from troop trains. The military school at Alliance College in Cambridge Springs was quarantined. Of the 250 soldiers and staff, as many as 70 were sick with the flu at one time. Five soldiers, a cook, and an instructor all died. At the Erie County Courthouse, face masks provided free by the American Red Cross were all the thing, according to the dispatch. All the girls in the recorder's office but one are wearing them. General Electric set up a barracks for workers who became ill at its sprawling new plant in Lawrence Park. Still, the virus spread. By early November, Erie Munitions plants reported that production was lagging. Up to 30% of their workers were sick with the flu. General Electric, Erie Forge, and American Brake Shoe employed an estimated 20,000 people between them at the time. Hospitals were, quote, jammed to the doors, end quote. And post offices struggled to serve the public with 17 carriers down with the flu at the main post office, and 6 of 13 were down in South Erie. It's difficult to keep the mail moving, said Postmaster J.A. Hanley. A Western official who came east to learn how to fight the flu was told, When you get home, hunt up your woodworkers and set them to making coffins. Then, take your street laborers and set them to digging graves. By November 10th, just 41 days since the Liberty Loan Parade, 181 Erie residents had died, and those who had escaped had become hardened to the daily death tolls, by then described as only a dozen or more a day. State and local health officials also might have become hardened to the numbers. When Benjamin Franklin Royer informed local counterparts that they could lift the public gathering ban, John Wright signed the order allowing schools, churches, and most amusements to reopen on November 11th. November 11th also was the day that the armistice ending World War I was signed. Thousands of people again came together to celebrate downtown. State Street is full of excited throngs, the Erie Dispatch reported. The number of flu deaths and infections in the city had slowly declined. Most people, including health officials, thought that the worst was over. John Wright closed the emergency hospital on November 14th. That same day, flu numbers spiked again to 214 new cases and five deaths in Erie in just 24 hours. This big increase can be directly traced to exposure in the peace celebration early Monday morning and to overcrowding in the streets, in stores, and in the amusement houses, said John Wright, who would later admit that he had closed the emergency hospital too soon. The armistice celebration had rekindled the wildfire in Erie. St. Vincent and Hammett hospitals again filled to capacity within days. By November 22nd, 259 Erie residents had died of influenza since early October. The death toll continued to rise. As it did, members of the public clamored for a new gathering ban. Henri Chatain of General Electric asked the health board if they could do something to stop the influenza, which he believed to be far worse now than when the ban was on, according to the Erie Dispatch. About a dozen General Electric workers were getting sick each day, he said. 
but health officials this time refused to impose a gathering ban, saying that would only drag out the epidemic more, which now, quote, needed to run its course, end quote. Local businessmen strongly opposed a new ban. It was the Christmas shopping season, our season for making hay, said J. Ross Teeter, manager of the downtown Palace Hardware. Led by downtown saloon keeper R.P. Daly, 200 local businessmen took matters into their own hands. They went to the Erie County Courthouse on the day before Thanksgiving, and they were granted an injunction against a gathering ban. Their filing claimed that a ban would be, quote, unlawful, illegal, and unnecessary, end quote, and would deprive them of the use of their property. Retailers advertised Christmas and peace sales in both local newspapers. Their actions fired up clergy, manufacturers, and civic leaders, who pushed back during a heated two-hour Erie City Council meeting at the Commerce Building in early December. And though they put the businessmen on defense, City Council took no action to oppose the court injunction. Members instead endorsed a campaign to educate the public about influenza. Reverend A.R. Van Meter, Dean of the Episcopal Cathedral of St. Paul, from the pulpit the next Sunday, continued to press the city for action. In a blistering sermon, he called out J. Ross Teeter and others by name for doing business as usual, epidemic or not. This is a contest between dollars and human lives, A.R. Van Meter said. We are making laws a farce for the benefit of the saloons and the Christmas sales. Influenza was still taking lives in the city. A.R. Van Meter buried a 15-year-old member of his congregation the next day. Also the day after his sermon on December 9th, community women opened up the General Pershing Emergency Orphanage and government-built housing for American break shoe employees at West 4th and Cascade Streets. By Christmas, the orphanage housed 154 children whose parents had died. In all, more than 500 Erie residents had succumbed to the plague since early October. Then finally, just before Christmas, the epidemic began to wane. Deaths here and there in the city continued into early 1919, but the worst was over, just as the city belatedly sent its solicitor to court on December 23rd to try and overturn the businessman's injunction. By Christmas Day, the city was looking forward. There were no more daily reports on flu cases and flu deaths in the newspapers, no more calls for nurses, no more orders from Dr. John Wright. News stories instead focused on when the boys would come home from the war, whether their jobs would still be waiting for them, and a seemingly never-ending series of victory balls and victory sings in eerie clubs and parks. The Spanish flu was all but over, and all but forgotten by everyone but those who lost loved ones. Alfred Crosby, author of the 1976 America's Forgotten Pandemic, The Influenza of 1918, said, For me, that's the most mysterious thing about it. The vagaries of the virus. We'll understand them eventually. And we'll understand how flu epidemics work. But we're never going to understand. How the hell did we have something that killed millions and millions of people? And then we said, oh well, and went on to the World Series or something. It's impossible. And yet, it's true. Thanks for 
for listening. You'll find more podcasts like this one at goerie.com slash topics slash podcasts. And you'll also find more research and materials on the Spanish flu of 1918 in Erie, including a special digital project, all at goerie.com.